Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm Diane Gibbs, your host, and I'm joined by my friend Bethany Heck, who is brilliant, and she totally, um, what I was taught by her dad um, and other people, told me not to use more than two or three maximum typefaces at a time. And she presented this awesome, which she actually has a Medium article also, so I'll make sure I share that too, um, this awesome article. And she's actually presented this paper, and she presented at Creative South. And you know I love Creative South. So they, um, so it was amazing. It totally busted what I had been taught. And it wasn't just the not using two or more typefaces. It was about also combinations and how she's kind of analyzed and kind of made this recipe in a way for us to be able to do that. And I just – it was really um, eye-opening for me. And she's a UX UI designer, so she's doing some of this stuff in real life. And she's done her own case study with the EFIS League stuff. So anyway, thank you, Bethany, for being here. And I'm super excited and always like talking to you. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, too. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So my old alumni student, not old, but you know what I mean. I'm just going to say alumni. My alumni, Jennifer, she said, that's what you taught me. And I so, so that was one of my promo images was the preacher was converted because that's really what I feel like. I feel like I was preaching this, you know, only two typefaces. And, you know, I was reading the article and pulling out quotes. And it was really like it was really frowned upon if we do those things. And I know I've taught that. So to me, it was really powerful um, that you did kind of debunk it. But it wasn't that you just debunked it, but you actually explained to us how to, how, to, how to choose and how to make these combinations that really do work. So I'm super excited to dig in. But just in case people don't know who you are and what you've done, I've had you on the show before. We talked a little bit about the EFIS League, and we definitely talked about your letterpress love for type and stuff like that. So do you want to give them just a little bit of your background and maybe tell them a little bit about your work history and then what you're doing now? Sure. Um, I went to Auburn University. I graduated in 2010. My dad is actually a uh, member of the faculty on the graphic design program, so nepotism. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, since since leaving school, I've been working mostly web or interactive or product design jobs, so lots of UI and UX. Um, I really like taking the kind of graphic design background that I have, the traditional uh, design, and trying to figure out new ways of applying those principles to digital mediums. Um, and yeah, I do uh, the uh, EFA Sleep War Eagle, everyone. Um, and, uh, I do the, uh, EFIS League as a side business, which was my senior project at Auburn, uh, and it's a, like, little brand of baseball merchandise and scorebooks and, uh, things like that, so. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. All right, so, um, and, so you went from Auburn, and you went to grad school for a little bit, and then you went to North Carolina, and you were working as a UX UI designer? Yes. I basically function as the creative director for the product that I work on. It's a small product. Okay. So, but you've definitely faced some challenges of mentalities being at these places, right? Where this is how it is. This is what it's been like, which I think is so funny because that's totally what you did for me is like you debunked this thing. So, um, Anyway, so I, uh, so it was really powerful, and there was, like, you just sold it. Like, you were like, no, we don't need to do this. That typeface doesn't do this. 
you need, we need to do something else. So I want you to kind of take us through this, but really it's been from the EFIS league. You've kind of, you really, um, and whenever you want me to go to an image, you just tell me and we'll go to an image. Um, cause I don't know what you want me to do cause I can't read your mind, but, um, <laughs> shouldn't be a shocker, um, that I can't read your mind, but like um, analyzing the type and you did you, you would make practical you would even do little case studies within that like the curveless wonder kind of stuff mm -hmm. I don't know if you sent me that or not um, I might not have I'm trying to go quickly through I didn't want to send you like here's 60 images <laughs> I appreciate that too but it, it it's something that people could find even on the I believe you did that in the medium article also yes where people could see um, could see that. So, all right. So how, when did you start and was this always, even when you were in school, were you kind of analyzing and doing these like practice uh, combinations? Yeah. Um, I, so I guess in, at Auburn, it's kind of like you're, you're the first semester of your junior year, right after you get out of type and processes, basically, you start to be given a little bit more freedom in terms of the number of typefaces you can use. And um, prior to coming to graphic design school, um, most of the typefaces, I, I had a ton of typefaces that I liked, and they were all from Defonts, and they were all awful. So I was... So after having that kind of, you know, initial wave of you can only use these very, you know, these very old like typefaces, Garamond, Helvetica, and they, they teach you to use the, the, the standards, basically. So coming out of that and still wanting to have some of that typographic play that I had when I was just kind of teaching myself Photoshop in high school, but, but you know, wanting to be a little bit more, you know, grown up about it. Um, I wanted to, I, I still wanted to play with combining typefaces and things. And so, uh, and it was also influenced by my love of, uh, you know, kind of letterpress wood type posters, which have dozens of different typefaces, um, which I found to be really exciting and interesting. And so, um, yeah, I just kept, uh, that was always one of the default things. Like, uh, it's very rarely that I start a design and I start it with one typeface and I just think, oh, well, I've got this one and I like this font. I'm just going to stop there. I'm always trying to find excuses to use more. And I think some of that's because I like the density of information. I usually, I very rarely have one level of information going on. I want to have little, you know, I can't draw. I can't really take photographs or, or illustrate or anything like that. So if I want to have like more stuff on screen, it's got to be with words. And if I'm going to have a bunch of words then I usually want to have a bunch of typefaces because I'm a hoarder and collect them like I would like anybody would collect anything that they like to collect. So, so I have a crazy random question because I think I don't know the answer to this, but I have an idea because I think you're a, you can be a rule bunker or whatever buster. Um, so what n number child are you? I'm the first child. I knew it. I had a feeling you were first born. So the reason is my sister's like that too. She's like, uh, I don't know why you people are doing it that way. This is the way. And it's like, we need people like that. But I think like second child children and others, they're like, oh, this is the way it's done. You just got to accept it. These people are telling me how to live and whatever. Right. So um, I do. I think that that, and I just think it's so funny because I'm sure your dad told us like three maximum, like, but it wasn't, it doesn't sound like he really talked about design a lot at home. 
it, you know, you had maybe programs that other kids had, but really it wasn't a ton of influence. You were really exploring on your own. And then you found this love for um, letterpress. And then, and you really have um, put money into this. You've explored this and you played. And I think that hand work with some of those uh, letters has given you a, a deeper taste or a more richer palette. I think that's all fed into this to me. Fabulous. Definitely. A soulmate. I think it, having that, like, uh, there's a large, there, like, uh, Auburn makes a pretty large library of typefaces available to students. So I, I definitely give a lot of credit to that for exposing sure. me to different um, boundaries and, and starting to, you know, get an, a better idea for what a good typeface is. Um, and I guess I just kind of taken it to the extreme after that. Um. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's really good. But so, so was there ever, because I don't think that you were really like, your dad wouldn't come home and be like, oh, Bethany, too many typefaces, you know, like even as a little kid, right? It wasn't something that you were taught and then um, you were like, ah, I'm going to rebel and use 18 or something. It was just something natural that you were like, hey, this, this solves the problem better, right? Yes. Um, uh, he was never, while, what, when I decided that I wanted to go into graphic design, well, first he didn't want me to go into graphic design. Um, he said it was too competitive and I'd never make any money. Um, so, you told him. Um, but uh, yeah, when I started into the program, he never gave me, I didn't ask him for his feedback on a lot of things because I didn't want to, I don't know, it, it felt like cheating in some ways and I didn't want to put him in a bad situation um, because there was, I think, especially in the, you know, the kind of like you're trying to get in the program phase of things, he needed to be very hands-off. It couldn't, there couldn't be any, you know, kind of nepotism again involved. Um, so yeah, I don't remember him talking about typeface limits too much with me. Um, I probably made a lot of mistakes in school that he could have pointed out and he didn't. So he was just he was very hands off. Right. Well, all right. So, but it wasn't this big thing that you were, did you realize how big this was when you started doing this? Like, no, it was just second nature to me. Right, which I think is awesome. So Fabio, who comes all the time, and he's actually going to be on the show later, and he loves typography too, and he's super fast. So he said he's found a soulmate in you, Bethany. So anyway, uh, you'll have to check his out, check his stuff out. Um, all right. So do you, do you think that you're? Do you think? Do, I know you didn't think maybe in a way. Oh, Fabio just raised his hand. I don't know what I do to raise hands. Oh, boogers. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to type something in the chat? Because I don't know how to do it otherwise. I wonder what I do with that. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, do you think that you're revolutionizing the way designers think about type and making type combinations? Uh, revolutionizing is a pretty uh, grandiose word for it. Um, I, if I could get a few people to think about, to have a different perspective on it, then I'd feel like I did a good job. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean. It's my I word. I think you are because it changed for me. I mean, I've been teaching it for 13, 14 years. And that's what I've been teaching. Like, I I was just blown away. You should have seen, like, my notes at Creative South. I was like, 
oh my gosh, my mind is blown. Like, it's true. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know why we didn't talk about this the first time. Like, um, but I'm glad, like, I'm glad we had a whole show just devoted to this. But to me, it was really, it's about thinking about type and, and you know, it's like the other one was don't use type faces that are too similar. And you're like, so I don't know if that's it. That's definitely not where we are, but you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, that was, that was something that, you know, uh, I see like when I was starting to kind of synthesize like the, you know, when, cause this kind of originated as a talk just in, in terms of figuring out how to actually like talk about this. It went from, I use a lot of typefaces in my design to, if I'm going to talk about something that's unique about me, what is it? Okay. I use a lot of typefaces. Why do I use a lot of typefaces? It's a good idea that I use a lot of typefaces. What are things that I do that other people seem to think are, are you know, rules that you should be following. Um, so um, that was the, the two similar thing I saw come up a lot. And that's a sticky one because there are, there are a lot of typefaces that are very similar and what is too similar and what isn't. But I do think that I know that there are cases that I've used things like even down to like using two sans serifs in a type, you know, like why would right. you use more than one style of typeface in a design? You pick one that works. And so, um, but I break that particularly with sans serifs all the time. So if I was looking at rules that people have and then looking at things that I do, I was like definitely breaking that rule. So um, I wanted to try to break that down a little bit and check myself and make sure that I was doing, I had good motivations um, and my if, see if my instincts were correct. And then, you know, try to put that in more objective terms to actually explain, you know, the, the fundamentals of why I end up doing those things. Right, because I think sometimes we do these things naturally, and I definitely think you do them naturally, but I think it really helps the people. Sometimes type's really hard, and it doesn't come as a natural. Um, uh, it's not natural for a lot of people, so they end up just choosing their favorites, and they use Futura for forever um, or whatever. Um, and it can, it's, it's really the voice of the piece. The voice of the piece shouldn't always be with the same character, character actor or whatever, right? So it has to change. So the typeface has to change. But for me, it was like really thinking about not just choice of type, but how they combine and how they marry. And, and instead of just using this as an overall rule, you're kind of piecing us through and saying, well, here's what's great about universe and here's what's great about Helvetica and here's how you could use them together and how they do work together. You just need to choose certain things. And so just so you guys know, Brian, Jan, just put, and if you want to post in the chat to everybody, you have to choose, you have to choose to everyone, not to panelists. So, um, you can click over there and I'm going to copy it and save it for later. And so it is an amazing, thank you, Brian. He's always on my, He's like my best person over there. So I'm going to put it over there in my other stuff for you, Bethany, so we can share it later. But the, yes, he's the link master. All right. So, um, so I had read and you know, people do like type combinations are hard for a lot of people. Um, I know um, there are people, there are, are parts on Instagram that are just about type combinations and just pulling different type combinations every week or whatever, or every day. And, so it's difficult for people. I know how has published articles um, about these are the ones to use and he, these are the ones to use together. And I don't know if you guys have seen that or not, but to me, that's a, it was a, 
kind of like, oh, I've copied that article and given it to students because it's kind of like a cheat sheet. But what you're doing is even greater or better, bigger, I guess, in a way, is because it gives us the tools to be able to maybe analyze it and talk about the, um, you know, the little kickoffs on the why, you know, and things like that that aren't happening in maybe another typeface that maybe gives it something else. So I understand that you don't think you're revolutionizing, but if you were re looking in the chat when I when you were talking, there were tons of people who heard you at Creative South and you were like, I had never, they had never thought of doing those because I think a lot of people are taught that. So it was really, really good. Okay, so um, I also think designers choose two to three typefaces because it's easier. It's what they were told. And um, doing that research and doing those case studies, I think takes takes time. But can you kind of take us through why you think that part has actually helped you in, in your job and helped you communicate better visually? Sure. Um, so um, trying to think of how to, how the, the, what the best way to no, answer I, the question is. I didn't write that one down, sorry. <laughs> I'm not prepared for this one, Diane. I know, I'm sorry, okay. Let me go um, to the one that is on the thing, and then you can think about that one, so that you don't have. Well, that, let me let me let me do it now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I think that, it, and I, I do understand why people like limiting yourself. Definitely has its advantages. It would be like the same as like a, a woodworker saying, "I have like these three tools that I use, and I don't bother looking at other tools because I'm going to use the ones that I have given myself. I'm going to learn how to use them and the you know, their, to their maximum potential, um, which I certainly understand. I think that typefaces are relatively simple when you boil them down and you could have that level of mastery over hundreds of typefaces if you really wanted to. But every typeface you use, you have to buy. They're expensive. Um, so it definitely can get difficult. Um, I think that uh, my kind of explorations in using a lot of typefaces has helped me the more you use, the more you learn to appreciate certain things and the more that you combine. Like, I, I'm sorry that I didn't send you this image, but there's the case study where I talk about using Founders versus Calibre uh, in the Medium article. Oh, it's on my other thing. I'll find it. Okay, I'll get it. Um, but there's, there's just an example of showing, like, showing like a whole section in Calibre. And Calibre is a really nice typeface, and you get to, you know, it, it's great. It's clean because it's all the same typeface, but then switching it out for something like founders, which is a little bit wider. It's got a little bit more eccentricity to it. Um, it's more grotesque. So it's old fashioned in certain ways, which means that it's a little bit less logical in some ways. It's not, you know, it doesn't have as much geometry to fall back on. It emphasizes the qualities that are not that in Calibre. So Calibre all of a sudden feels even more tidy. Um, and you know, it kind of can, that contrast, uh, can really show off and, uh, make, um, it, it, it can, it, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to showcase this typeface by only using this and by letting it do 20 different things, but you can also showcase a typeface by pairing it with something that's going to really show off how it's different to this other thing. Um, and so I find those types of things interesting and I feel like that helps me, um, when I'm making, uh, you know, arguments for, you know, certain decisions w regarding typefaces, um, just having that experience of 
pairing all these different, you know, both similar and very different types of typefaces, it helps me uh, to have that to, to fall back on. Yay. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes. Okay, so if you, I don't know, I don't think you guys can, can you see my mouse? I can see your mouse. Okay, can y'all see it? Oh, Kent says yes. Okay, so see if you can roll, oh, well, it's not my screen. Never mind, I'm an idiot. Okay, so which side is this and then which side is this? So Founders is on the left. Okay. Um, so this, and uh, Calibre is on the right. Okay. Uh, Calibre is a geometric typeface and Founders is more grotesque. Um, so they're pretty similar. Uh, but there are things about, uh, this actually isn't the ideal slide to talk about how one slide's one of them is going to be emphasizing the other. This one is to show that the Calibre ended up being the better solution for this because there are other geometric elements on the page. Uh -huh. uh, so the Calibre jives better with those di uh, the diamonds and circles and other things than the founders did. Uh, this this shows like uh, so founders and calibre they're both by Clem type foundry so they're very similar they have the same x height so you can you can name off like five or six things about these typefaces that are exactly the same and so a lot of people would say well you pick one or the other like you pick the you, the, you know the two or three differences that you value most and you stick with that because why would you use both um, and so there's a big section of the article talking about why I you know, there, I wanted to have the advantages of both, um, and that there are ways of taking, of using two typefaces that are very similar on the same page and actually emphasizing, um, the things about them that are different, uh, in a way that, you know, makes them both feel even more special than it would if you just use them. I mean, if you just pick one of these and use it, it's just like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the sans serif. Um, but if you use more than one sans serif, you start to, you know, like kind of like you're adding adjectives to it. It's like, oh, that's the geometric sans serif, or that's the sans serif with the really nice descenders and the, the lowercase a that's really pretty. And, you know, you, you just by making yourself do that, you have to learn to appreciate the typeface more because it's not just like, I've got to pick a sans serif, so I just pick something out of this bucket. Right. So and it's also, so one, it's about analyzing the type, geometric, grotesque, um, and so one thing I think that can be super helpful and kind of what you were saying, you're not an illustrator, so you're really kind of leaning to typography to make your, your hierarchy and your impact, but that's what it does. Type can really play that role of saying this typeface, and this is kind of what you talked about doing, I think, at Microsoft. They were, um, and maybe that's in some of your slides, you just tell me um, which one I can try to pull it up. Um, or you can look at what I sent you. Any of the nine, the ones for nine, um, okay. would be would be good for that. Okay. All right. Let's see. Let me share. Because because I think hierarchy with when you were talking about this, it really made a difference to me of understanding what you were talking about because they were really also limiting you and saying, "Hey, we just use this one typeface," and you were like, "Nope, not anymore." You know. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, do you have the one that's that's um, oh, it's like oh oh why it's the it's just the Excel screenshot because that's a good way to kind of set the stage about okay. what one of the problems is that we deal with in enterprise software design. All right. So, 
it um, there's it's like nine underscore one dash o y something. Yes. Okay. I got it. Okay. I should have, yes. I should have taken the time to give these thoughtful names. And I did not. I no, it's fine. We can figure this out. So, okay. I got it. This one, right? That's the one. So this is Excel. And so Microsoft, you know, kind of decided, well, Apple's using a humanist sans serif typeface for all their marketing communications, um, which is Myriad, I think. Um, and so they got monotype to make Segal for them because they were like, well, if that's what Apple's doing, then that's what we're going to do. And then they took it a step farther and they said, we're not only going to use that in our marketing communications, we're going to use that on all of our software design. And it's a really bad idea, mostly because Windows operating systems are really bad at rendering type. And there's a lot of subtleties in the line weights in, human, uh, uh, in those kind of humanist sans serif typefaces. So that's just kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of why it goes the bad typeface for this. But uh, the problem that you end up with in complicated products like Excel and like Power BI, which is what I work on, is that you've got, you know, in some cases, many dozens of commands that you have to present to the user at once. They're usually labeled because there's so much stuff that we don't trust. To, we don't even trust ourselves to make icons that are, you know, clearly conveying with these. So it's got all these pictures and all these icons and they're all the same typeface, and they're all usually the same color, and usually they're not labeled clearly either. So my favorite part of this is actually that in the top left, there's all the, there, so you see file home, and then there's like from access, from web, from text, and the ribbon. That's what you, you call like the big chunk of all these like words, and, and, and then it says get external data. So if you are, are just reading that, the word get implies if I do that, I'm going to get external data. It's telling you what it's going to do if you click on it, except you can't click on it. it that's just a label. It's just to say that this is how you get external data. So it's, it's like a combination of a copywriting fail and just an information hierarchy fail. So we run into these same problems too. Um, it's really difficult to convey all the different things that the application can do. Um, and also, you know, you kind of, you need to group things. So it's not just that you've got 50 things going on. You've also got to sort of subcategorize and label them. So that's where we, uh, so when I came in, one of the things that I fought for was to add a second typeface to our type ramp. Um, and it's, uh, some, and I've never just, heard uh, that term type ramp. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, that's just the ramp. Uh, so from small to large of the typefaces that you put in your style guide that you allow people to use when they're working within your visual language. So um, our prototypers build out, you know, the CSS that says like this is an H1, which is our biggest header going all the way down to like H9 maybe and then wow. paragraph and links. It's, it's a style sheet. Um, so that's to prevent people from being like, I want to have pink, you know, giant bold type running up the side of the screen over here. It's just to enforce some standards. Right. Uh, and so we have, um, we have added uh, DIN as a second typeface to complement Sago, uh, in cases where we, we need some labeling and it's kind of intermingling with a lot of stuff that's that are actions so like lists of things or situations like this where you have labels right next to things that you can actually click on buttons and labels text links um 
it's the way for us to distinguish uh, between things that are interactive and non-interactive. Um, so you kind of teach people to see, oh, it, it's it, it's said and done and it's all caps and that's not an interactive thing. It's just like in the same way that when somebody sees a button that's grayed out, they know that it's disabled. It's just another way of visually communicating the a concept to, to users. Um, and it's, it's the, with flat design, which is what Microsoft is really embracing now, it's very hard to distinguish between what's just information text that I'm just reading, like, it, you know, it's explaining something to me or something that I need to read, um, or is it something that I can actually do? Um, because we don't like bevels and drop shadows anymore. We want everything to be flat. The problem with that is it gives us less ways of saying, like, this is a clickable thing and this is not. So we're trying to compensate with that by adding the second typeface. So this is a question, and I didn't write this down, but I definitely, did you come up against, you're like, oh, crap. But did you come up against any, like, the upper, higher-ups, creative directors, whatever, like, hey, Bethany, we don't do this, you know, like, did you, or was it just a bunch of second children who weren't bucking the system at all and just were kind of were doing what they were told and you came in and you were like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. Like, did you? There are, yeah, there are definitely people who have reacted against it. Um, there's some, com there's at least one comment on the medium article from a Microsoft employee who wasn't happy about the fact that I was using DIN. Um, so it happens. Uh, but the good thing about it is that we're not doing it because it's not that I'm using DIN because I want to use DIN and I want to have a second typeface and it's just because I think it looks better. Um, there's a lot of objective things that we can point to and particularly involving things like accessibility. Um, so uh, with accessibility concerns, you're thinking about people with um, who are uh, vision or motor impaired, so they might not be able to distinguish between certain ranges of colors. So something that's, um, you know, they might not be able to distinguish between something that's a dark green or a black, um, but they can distinguish between two sets of typefaces that look, uh, you know, that are pretty obviously, you know, uh, drawn differently. So uh, that's another, you know, kind of thing that we can use to make the argument. And other teams at Microsoft have started to adopt DIN, which is good. Um, so it's not, it's never just everybody is like, oh my God, that's a great idea. Let's just go with it. When you're dealing with a company of this size with products with as many users as we have, it's, it's difficult, but I feel like it's been worth it and overall positive. Yeah, well, and it, it definitely helps the communication, and I definitely think, I didn't even think about, like, accessibility issues, but it does. Like, if somebody's colorblind, you really can't tell the difference between certain things, and so um, if it's green or if it's blue, it may just look dark, or and so then there is no distinction. So a typeface really does help to distinguish, so that's awesome. Do you want to go through the rest of those number nine ones, or do you want... Um, she, I mean, we can, they're just basically examples of how we, you know, use lightly sprinkle in then in certain cases. Uh, Let's just show product. those while we, yeah. while we are talking. The first one that, that you threw up in particular, I think is, is just a great simple example of, of how it can fix a pretty common problem that we run into. I'm going to just share my desktop cause this is, it's, oh, but it still didn't do it. Stop share. I know, bookers. I'll get this better, people. I promise. Okay, so I think now you can see my desktop. Okay, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so this is just an example of like if we've got a flyout menu or a tab or something and we there's you know we need subheadings to like group some of the controls that we have. So visual options and color options, they're not actually things. Right? Ooh, uh oh. Uh, but if they're uh, just inside the same space and the same typeface, they can easily be they could very easily be confused. Uh, as something that you can actually click on. Uh, so uh, you can, so starting from the left is what it looks, looks like in a lot of office applications. So it just takes a go and they said in all caps. Well, a humanist typeface like this is not meant to be seen in all caps, which is why that looks pretty bad. Um, you can start to pitch back the color. Um, again, you're starting to get into some accessibility concerns when you do that, but it does help. But I feel like the thing that makes it most immediately clear that there's a distinction in the type of information that you're looking at is simply by using the second typeface, which is the example on the far right, which is just using DIN. And um, I, when I look at this, like when I look at the, the far left example, my brain has to think an extra second to distinguish, even with the all caps, what, like, okay, there's something different going on here. And the more levels of distinction you add, like pitching back the color and then adding the different typeface, that starts to make the kind of mental hierarchy in your mind clear. Like, okay, I've got, you know, headings that are just telling me what these things are, and then I've got my actual options. So that's just another, um, that's just a very simple example of how incorporating the second typeface helps. It's not super splashy. Um, it doesn't pop up very often, but I feel like it's a big benefit to our users. So you're using, uh, Brian wants to know about humanist type. Can you explain humanist type? And that's a classification of a bunch of styles of type, right? Do you want to explain yes. what humanist is? I'm not, yeah, I'm not a su super academic when it comes to describing um, different typeface. I would, it, it, like in layman's terms, uh, humanist uh, sans serif typeface is anything that's been made in the last like 10 or so years that's not a historic revival. Um, they're supposed to be, there, so I think by humanist, it means that it's not something like Futura, which is very geometric. Uh, the line weights are very consistent. It, they've got like a little bit more contrast in terms of their thick and thin. You know, the lines might thin as they, you know, the line, the, the leg of an arm might thin as it goes up to meet um, the bowl, things like that. Um, uh, that uh, There's better ways of describing them. But is human, would humanist just be describing sans serif or could you have a humanist serif typeface as well you might could have a i don't see it used as often to describe um serif typefaces i see it most often used to describe like uh, mo more modern meaning non-historical revivals uh, of, san of sans serif typefaces but again i'm not like an academic when it comes to type classification so right. i could be but no i think that's great uh, so, but it, you know, if you think about the the type uh, classifications that Phil Meggs teaches, you know, there's six, and sans serif is a whole classification. So really, it's just breaking that. And that's what I was thinking. It was just going to be yes. for sans serif, but um, and then there's really script, and that's kind of a seventh one or whatever. But really, you need that that um, uh, sans serif is so big, and there's so many types of sans serif. You need something to kind of break those apart. So there's there's lots of other ways to uh, do it, and but but there would be uh, and Brian says that answers it perfectly. And so I think there was one more image. Hang on. 
this one. Oh yeah, it's a little. It's a little. Uh, we looked at that. Yeah, this is a little gif of just showing like what what the labels look like when they're sago versus you know the the kind of extra level of distinction you get when they're din. A little visual aid. Yeah, that's much much more helpful. And I think that really it's about communicating and getting the stuff across quickly because you're teaching people how to read something, especially if they're in a new program or in a, a publication. You do the same thing, and that's what you've kind of done with the EFASLY for some of that stuff. You kind of created that that system. Yes, I'm going to call it type ramp type. Is that what you call it? Type ramp. Hi, Grandpa. Yes. I'm going to start teaching that now because I'm a second child. You just tell me what to do and I do it. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm going to go back to our faces. Okay. Um, so I think that, oh, it's, what did it just say? Oh, Bookers. Can you see me? Yes, I can see you. Okay. It said my internet connection was shoddy or something. I'm like plugged in. Yeah, I got that for a few seconds before. Hmm. Oh, well. And now it like totally threw me off. Um, sorry. Um, but I do think that people are afraid. And so I think, especially if that's not like, you are like, maybe not, um, you may be more, be, blah, you may be more afraid to do an illustration which some people would be more afraid to use different typefaces. And we talked about it a little bit. So a lot of times people will just go to their go-to faces. But can you explain why understanding them and how understanding them and what holds them together and like why um, the, the roundness of Sago maybe doesn't work in all caps and it wasn't meant to be done like that. So the, it, but it's those those tiny things that kind of set it apart. Like, it's kind of like wine. Like, you know, you're like a type sommelier. Because I think some people would say, oh, you know, you just put it in there. I mean, these people who use Comic Sans all the time, ugh, these people are drinking Boone's Farm wine, you know. That's the Boone's Farm wine of type. But that, like, there is some, these tiny little nuances. And I want to be able to teach this so I would love for you to explain it so that in layman's terms let's not get academic um, I just play one on TV um, but can you kind of go through that because it is those little nuances and what do we need to look for so that we can do this better and, and not be so scared I guess yeah I mean I I feel like designers act out of fear in a lot of ways. Like we were just, I was just talking with some of my coworkers about this yesterday about how there's a huge segment of the industry, which is like kind of become ad agencies. And I feel like the kind of idea of selling things is now sort of how we justify our value as design. So it's all marketing instead of actually looking at objective things. Like you could, there's a, there's a, there's an alternate history where design justifies its value by saying you will get either this business value or your customers will receive this advantage or something like that by doing this thing. And instead we kind of try to jazz up what we do is like, Oh, look at the, you know, that, that image of the Pepsi logo that has all the, the concentric circles and everything around it. Like look at the geometry of this mark. And that's why, you know, it's just like that, that people see through that. So there's a lot of that in design and there's a lot of that in typeface um, stuff as well. And I, like, like I said, I don't dive into the, the history, like the go, going all the way back to 
you know, Gutenberg, uh, looking at um, the typefaces, every typeface that I use and what it's derivative of. But I think that you can just look at the typeface by using it and start to determine some of the object objective things about it. Um, the personality of it, uh, it to, to put it in emotional terms and also just the, the form of it. What are the shapes look like? Um, so like what? Like explain that. So I get personality part of it. Like I totally get that. But like shapes, like like if you're talking about an R and the leg comes down and it's straight at the bottom, as opposed to it kicks out a little bit. So what would what would you say? Like analyze that one for me. Or do you want to throw up that that image, uh, that overlay image again? The eight one. Uh, it's the one with the the, the red and blue yes. that overlaps because yes. that'll that'll be a good visual aid um, for okay. this sorry yes okay this one so yes perfect thank you so much so for this one uh so founders and Calibre, we've already talked about these a little bit they're from the same foundry they're both sans serif typefaces they both have a little bit of a grotesque nature to them uh which is the reference to historical sans serif typefaces um, but the, the biggest difference between the two, just stylistically, is that Calibre has more of a geometric feel to it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a mixture of something like Franklin Gothic and, and Futura, which are two very different sans serifs, but it's kind of like meeting in the middle. So, um, it, and you can see that in things like that. So on the last line, the capital R in report is on a, is it has a straight leg on Calibre. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one difference. And then if you look at the overlay, because they're made by the same type foundry, uh, Chris uh, Sowersby, I think is how you say his name, he probably has like a certain X height that he likes to kind of start drawing his letter forms at. So um, he is, so they both have that same uh, X height, which is good because you think, okay, I don't have to worry about thinking about the difference between the two of them. But if you look at the cap height, meaning if you look at like the capital, like the, what's a good example of it? Like the capital I and the capital M, you can see how like the red is slightly taller than the blue. So the founders has a slightly, very slightly taller cap height, meaning that it's actually got a, a bigger difference between the X, the X height of the letter forms where all the lowercase letters fall and where the capital letter falls. And so what that is, what that, and then the wider, like the letter forms are way wider. You can see that's the biggest difference that you can see in the overlay is that the founders is, it takes up way more space. So the combination of that very slightly taller cap height and the fact that it's wider will make it feel like the X height is smaller. So the capital letters are going to really jump out at you when you're reading it, makes, which makes it less ideal for body copy, which is why he actually has a body copy version. He has a text version of this typeface. Hmm. Um, so if you're choosing between the two and you need something that's going to be good for body copy, good at small sizes, you go with Calibre because um, it's going to read better um, at small sizes. Uh, so that's, that's one way of just objectively looking at the typefaces and seeing, and then there's, when it comes to things like personality, um, founders, you know, the lowercase a is really pretty on that typeface. You know, the, the one on Calibre is a little bit more straightforward. It doesn't have the tail that curl, curls off at the end. Um, again, because it's, it's a tidier typeface, like each type, each letter form is kind of only taking up a set amount of space usually. 
Um, it's a little bit more mono, it's not mono space, but it's a little bit more uh, of that feel, whereas there's a lot of variation in width in the founder's um, letter forms. And the bad thing about that is that it can make you work a little bit harder to read um, because things are not always falling uh, in the same place. But the advantage of that is if you're, if you're setting something really large and you want the, you need each, you need to get a lot of like value per letter form that you're doing. If you've got like huge type and it's very important that that type is kind of interesting in and of itself, then founders is a great choice because of, of those details. Does that help? Yes, that helps a ton. I even think like the A, the a of founders is beautiful. I mean, but I mean, the a, the counter and the, the bottom counter in that's the teardrop sort of Helvetica-esque, I guess. And then in the Calibre, it's like an oval, like an egg, you know, like on its side. Yeah. And I don't know. I love A's. Like, I think there's a lot of things you can do with A's. And I think that it's so, it looks more cartoony in the Calibre to me. And it looks a little bit more finessed in Founders. I think that that detail in Calibre is one of the things that helps it feel like more like a grotesque and still have some personality, even though it is more of a geometric typeface. So a lot of geometric typefaces would just do like the circle with a line A for that. Mm -hmm. Like that's what Futura does. But right. the fact that it has this kind of odd A is some, is some of the reason why it still manages to maintain some of that personality to it, even though it's leaning more towards that more kind of... Well, and uh, if you, that, style. it seems like that shape may be repeated in the O, but it's vertical and almost kind of repeated in the B and the P. So it's that egg kind of shape repeated, which really you don't see that teardrop shape repeated at all in, um, in the founders or in many others. So I just think that, I don't know if that was why they did that. I mean, it, but it does give a, it's friendly. Um, and maybe that helps with that friendliness of Calibre. And maybe that's another reason it's easy, easier to read. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to face, faces. Um, okay. So, okay. Um, I don't even know what time it is. Okay. 218. We're okay. Um, all right. So we covered that one. So now, um, so, okay. So you work with a company that has these type ramps, you know, and these, and we all do. We work with this like, hey, we got to give these limitations to these people, but, um, and, and you have these rules for a variety of reasons and for, to use a variety of typefaces. So I wanted to see um, if you could kind of talk through some of those rules. And I don't know if you, I still have the Medium article up, so I can always pull something up as well. But with um, question seven, you had given me one image for that. So I'm going to pull that one up. because That's what question we're on. So yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the hard thing when it comes to like the, the a lot of articles that I've seen about typeface combinations is they usually pick classic typefaces and they say, we'll use these. And if you're going to pair, like they almost always encourage you to pair things that are different. So that this is an example from a type kit article that Adobe put out and it's, you know, this is Bodoni or some variation of it paired with Futura. Those are both two very good typefaces. I think that they look awful paired together here. Um, <laughs> so I, I like they're very stylistically different. So obviously, like a Bedoni or Dedone style typeface has very high uh, contrast in the line weight. So it goes from very thin to very thick. 
and it has a very a, a, a vertical stress. And then you kind of pair that with the very just everything's a circle of Futura. Um, and I don't see that, like, I don't see a lot of connections that I could draw here. It definitely not in such a generic use of like, oh, I'm going to pick these two totally different typefaces. I'm going to use one for headlines and I'm going to use one for body copy and we're done. If you want to use things that are this different, I think that you need to be able to be a lot more considerate about, um, how they're going to be paired together, M meaning less generic use, I guess. So you want to be able, like there might be a case where you could throw in Futura next to, uh, next to Bedoni and either contrast Bedoni or accentuate Bedoni in a really thoughtful way, but you're not going to do that when you're using, when you're only using them in this super hella generic way. Um, so this is, this is one of the type, the problems that I see with a lot of type combination and type rule articles is that they usually fall back on these things and they're not absolute. These are two good typefaces used in a very bad way. Um, so, so I don't see how the article is therefore useful. So in this, I think it has to do with voice. As it comes to a regular user, they read like the top and it's much more high-end kind of feel. So maybe it's like speaking with a British accent. You know, those people always sound great. And then you yeah. kind of get like in Futura and it's just much, it's rounder and the high class that you were getting with Bedoni is totally, uh, maybe it's kind of like, um, oh, what's that movie with, um, Audrey Hepburn, where she was, you know, learned to talk. Uh, my breakfast at Tiffany's. No, um, not breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't think. I think right. it's where they took her, and he was like, "I can make anybody." Isn't it my fair lady? Maybe. Anyway. Maybe. Anyway, but that's kind of what it feels like. You have this really high class with the Bedoni and starts off, it's like you have a really nice entryway in your house, but then you get and you got a Barca lounger and like a cooler as your. Not that Futura is a bark lounger and a cooler, because I also like Futura, but it doesn't really, like you're saying, it doesn't pair well. So really, typefaces need to have some commonalities to be able to use together so it's that same voice. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So, like, the, the approach that I always try to take is if I want to use two type. playing off things about them that are similar. Um, we missed that. Can you start? Okay. It yeah. Out. Um, the whole if thing. I'm going to use, yeah, <laughs> if I'm going to use two typefaces that are very stylistically different, um, I need to make sure that I have several instances where I can figure out what their sim similarities are and really hit home on those or else I don't see the point of using them together. Um, anybody can pick two typefaces that look different anybody like anybody can go in and type up something in times new roman and then type up something in comic sans and be like look i picked two typefaces that are different nailed it like it's it's more than that right um did i break up again no i it you, i hear you okay you just froze your okay okay i can deal with a frozen okay. <laughs> um all right so so yeah that makes tons of sense. So I want to um, talk about number eight while we have the, oh, no, we already did that one. Um, we kind of already talked about that, too. So there were a couple that we missed. So some of it was like the stuff, oh, boogers, um, stuff that you loved from the beginning that we didn't pull up, which I loved this piece that you uh, 
you use in your article as well. And this maybe this is where your love of it started. Yeah, and I, it's funny because I love this, and I'll, because of the the maximalism of it, I guess it's just so much. Um, it's saying a you know it's but it's also it looks like this due to to technical restraints. So it's not that people wanted these. I mean, some of it was that, oh, we need to grab somebody's eye. And so these need to be visually exciting, meaning part of that was the, the you know, the difference in type sizes and colors and, you know, things that are big and bold. Like when, when people made wood type faces, like one of the big things was always like, this needs to be bold. It make this, that was like, I guess, the origin of, you know, the kind of make the logo bigger type mentality um, when it came to design. Um, but yeah, I'm... I've always been fascinated with the variety uh, that existed uh, in in wood type uh, and movable type uh, posters, and the fact that they break a lot of rules. That you know, as the as design started be, to become a profession, uh, people started to make rules about you know what what you should and shouldn't do, and those didn't really exist back then. It was just that this is what the poster needs to say, and it needs to get people's attention. And I don't care how you do it; just make sure you fit all the words in, and that people actually go to this fair. Um, and I I find that refreshing. <laughs> well, it was because people were playing, and people were beginning and exploring, and I think that that's part of what I think some of us are too afraid to do because. Um, we've been taught these rules. So they were just using what they had. They had a bunch of typefaces. They were going to do it and just see what came out. And they weren't afraid because they were probably pushing these things out very quickly. They weren't afraid to like, um, so for me, we have this ability on social media to push stuff out all the time, but people don't because they are too afraid. But I also feel like, hey, there's something to be seen in that progression to show people a progression of where you were. And that's one reason I love Bob Ewing because he put his stuff from the very beginning of when he was hand lettering every day. And you can go back and see where he is now and it gives people hope, you know, and if he didn't post that or if he deleted that, it makes it feel like, Oh, he came out of the womb, like knowing how to draw type good. And I feel like it, it can be really scary and it's not fair to people who are just learning because then there's that expectation. I think. Yes. Well, and most of, I mean, most of the typefaces on the, the, the let's use the middle poster as an example. Most like even most of these are slab serif typefaces, um, but they're all stylistically slightly different. So they're all, uh, but, and, and most of these were, most of these typefaces were actually drawn not by anybody who was actually a typographer or a type designer. There, it was a guy in the back of the room that was like, I need that, you know, cut 289 slab serif and a slightly narrower cut because this guy needs a lot of letters on this line. So the guy would go out and redraw the typeface and cut it out on the, on the pantograph. Uh, at a slightly, you know, more condensed width, or they'd take something and add serifs, or they add spurs, or they'd add a shadow. It was just like they kind of took the skeleton of an idea, and that's and that's how a lot of our like that's how sans serif started. Somebody took a slab serif and chopped the serifs off of it. Um, so you can see a lot of type history just in a poster like this. Yeah, and so the middle one, well, the one on the right is from 1825. Do you remember what when the one on the in the middle is 
Um, I don't know. Um, I remember when I pulled down that, but I do not think that I documented anything about it, about the date of it. Well, it was September 30th. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we're actually, it says, wait, it says 1878. Where? Or eighteen or eighteen eighteen. Oh. It's written in pencil on the, above the thirtieth. Oh or, yeah. Or I see. That's beautiful, man. Okay, so Brian White, I think it's Brian White, BW, um, wants to know what you use for font management, and he didn't know if he was late, so he didn't know if he missed that. But we actually didn't talk about that. And no. I, actually, I, I, I just use Fontbook, um, and it's not always great, but my dad is always trying to use like Font Explorer and other things, and I feel like he gets just as frustrated or more frustrated than I do, um, so I just stick with Fontbook. Well, I use, just if anybody cares, I use Extensus, because that is what they taught us to use at Auburn, and I love it, and I've never had any issues, so thankfully, um, but I'm never really frustrated with my, but there are it would be great if it would calculate if it would categorize them a little better. So you didn't just have to go through, like, I don't know if it's just me. Like yeah. I kind of feel like, Hey, is everybody just start with a, and then tomorrow they start with G when they're looking for type or am I just an idiot? And I don't know what the, t- the, the trick is like, Oh, you don't butcher things and blah, blah. And I used to, like, I used to like spend time, like three days, like putting all my type into their like folders so I could just quickly go to a sans here if I wanted to, you know, but like yeah. who has time for that. Not me. Right? I've gotten lazier with that. The older I've gotten, the less I the less I do. So I just use font book and I don't categorize and I just start trying things until I find something I like. Do you start at different letters? Uh yes. Usually I have, usually I start with something that I really like. So if I'm looking for a serif, Galaxy Copernicus is usually where I start. And if I'm looking at a sans serif, I usually, it depends. If I'm making badges and stuff, I'm probably going to start with interstate. So anything that needs to be all caps, I just start with interstate. And then I, you know, go off from there. So one of my first questions to Bethany was, um, are you on a Mac? Like that was like my one worry for her. And she said, Yes. Yay. <laughs> they give us Macs, Mac monitors. I have an iPhone. <laughs> so that's good to know. They're not like holding you back or anything, but no. Um, so I wanted to see if there were any other images that I wanted to show. Cause you, the article is great. I'm going to actually share that again. Cause I want to make sure that everybody sees that, but I want you guys to be able to also follow Bethany. If you're not already following her, cause she's wicked smart. And she's super humble, so she would never say that herself. But I think she's brilliant, and she's hilarious, and she does not think she's funny. But if you were at Creative South, she was. we were rolling. Like, I was rolling. It was so funny, right, people? Tell them in the chat. It was. It was really funny. We were cracking up, Matt says. Yes, really. One of the funniest, best talks. That's what Brian said. And John says he missed it. Well, you missed it. It was hilarious. Anyway, so I feel like we got some good learning today. Um, Fabio says he's already stalking you. So I'm glad because he's your soulmate, remember. He is married and with some kids, I think. But typographically, your soulmate. So um, anyway, so anyway, tons. Of, so Adam says, lazy are hanging out there. 
That's from the talk. Uh, like I was comparing Bureau Grotesque and um, Letter Gothic and how um, the, the, um, the kind of uh, the uppercase A's or lowercase A's and R's have like the same kind of curve to them, even though they're stylistically very different forms. Gotcha. Like Sorry. I'm hanging off of bed on a Saturday morning. See, then we're all taking notes like me. Anyway, good job. All right, so um, I'm going to share um, Bethany's Medium article again, which actually was, it's pretty, it's got images and everything. So a ton of the images that we talked about today or we showed today are there. And it's actually on Medium, right? Yes. Okay, so if you if you are watching on YouTube and you can't see this link, it will be below at rechargingyou.com. Um, below this talk, you can always search for Bethany Heck, and then you'll find both of the times that she's been on. But anyway, so that that one is a great article for you to read. And then you can also always find Bethany at her own website, which is EFUS League, which I'm going to spell it, E-E-P-H-U-S-L-E-A-G-U-E. -E -E. Again, dot com. Um, forget the whatever I said in between. It's just EFUSLeague.com. And so you want to you want to make sure that you're uh, and if you're on iTunes and you're listening, clearly you can't see me, see the link, but it is below in the show notes. Um, and then if you want to follow her, you can actually she has two um, well, on Instagram, your heck house, H-E-C-K-H-O-U-S-E. -E, and then on um, Twitter and you're pretty active on Twitter as well. It's EFIS League again. Um, and if you don't know what EFIS League is, you guys should check that out. She really loves baseball. And I'm not even really a huge baseball fan, but it's so beautiful. Like, Bethany, one thing that you did, you taught me. And so people say, oh, well, how has, you know, Design Recharge changed you as a designer? And I'm like, man, I learn stuff every week. So, you know, one thing you taught me the first time was he said, oh, you can use Flickr for your, um, if you do the uh, Library Congress, there's tons of big images. And it was like, you walked me through that. And so then I was able to do some stuff with those pictures. And it was, I was able to do some stuff like about the 1940s, um, the women painting the planes and stuff, because there's some beautiful images there. And so it, and like Nathan Yoder is going to be next week. And you know what Nathan taught me? And again, these are like simple things. I, I guess I've been in a hole. Like he's like, oh, I just email myself or I, um, I message myself the images and then I post it on Instagram. Cause I'm like, how are these images so beautiful? Like, like when I take a picture, I have shadows or whatever, you know? <laughs> and it was just like little light bulbs. And so to me, those are, I mean, this, this whole episode has been terrific for me. I told my mom, she said she wasn't going to be able to come today because she had to get her hair cut. And so I said, well, we're really kind of going to be geeking talking. And she's like, really, that's every week, Diane. And I was like, well, it's more so this week, probably so that she doesn't get, um, but I think it's lovely that my mom comes, but. Yes, really, that is lovely. It really makes a difference to me. And so I really appreciate that you're out there, one, telling people to do to play more and to explore, but you're also saying, hey, don't be afraid if the company says, hey, this is this is how we do it. If you've found a better way that helps people, then you should fight for it. And I think that's what you've done. Um, and I just am real proud to know you. So <laughs> I'm proud to know you too. Thank you for having me. Anytime.
literally anytime you got something you want to talk about or something brilliant you made a great article please send me a link anyway okay. seriously um so let's see what barack says i always wanted her sight to change when you hit the horns or halo always oh <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious um oh i got it now um anyway so Thank you guys. Oh, so Heck House Insta feed is groovy for fashion advice as well. That's totally true. You take great pictures, like your watch and all the stuff um, out. I, I, it's just nice that you're doing different things. So thank you. And Bethany recently was on the Creative South podcast, and so definitely check her out there too. And I will try to put a link under there. Um, so next week is um, Nathan Yoder, and he really did a transition from hand lettering to um, illustration and animation and we're going to talk about that and you know when your career changes and how you go through that transition and how you continue to get work and so um, sometimes you might feel alone like hey everybody else clearly is getting work and maybe I'm not because I'm doing something new or and there's some things you can do and so we're going to talk about that and I love having Nathan on too he's another one of my um, you know, people that I've learned from, even if it's just how to iMessage yourself. So, Bethany, thank you again so much. And thank you guys for being hanging out on the new platform. And um, again, if you have time and you don't mind, rate us on um, iTunes. It does really help. So, Bethany, thank you. Thank you, Diane. All right, guys, I'll and see you next time. <laughs> And we'll see, I'll see you next week and thank you guys and I'm going to hit stop.